Well, we're in a series right now. It is called It's Okay. And so far, we have talked about it's okay to say no. And last week, Pastor talked about it's okay to fail. Now, this message was not an encouragement for you to go out and fail, but to simply understand that when you do, it's okay. And uh, one of my favorite parts of this message is when Pastor said this. He said, most of our successes are a byproduct of what we have learned through our failure. How many know that's true? If you haven't had a chance to catch the series, make sure to go on our website, check out Spotify or our Apple Podcasts to listen. Well, today we're going to talk about it's okay to have questions. Anybody in here have questions? I remember when I was a little gipper, sweet, cute, nerdy looking, you know, tube socks, multicolored, you know, big ears, you know, I, I had to grow into all this stuff, skinny, and I remember I had a ton of questions, and uh, I remember my friends, they all had a ton of questions, and we would all ask our parents a lot of questions. That's just how it worked when you're a kid. It's like, it's ingrained in the, in the heart and the nature of humanity to ask questions. That's what kids do. And so we asked a lot of questions, and, and at times, our questions were really annoying. At times, our parents had probably already answered them, but we asked them anyways. And at times, they were just tired and didn't have the energy to explain, to bring it down to our level. And, and we would ask why to every time they would respond, and why, and why, and why. And, and every parent, I don't, I don't know what it is about parents, but there's something ingrained in us that when our kids ask why, there's just this, this phrase of unity among parents, and we just simply say to their why, because I said so. Now, um, how many parents or how many kids actually in here hated hearing that from your kids or your parents? And how many parents, how many of you loved saying that to your kids? Our text comes from 2 Peter 3 and 9. Peter wrote this to a group of people who they had a lot of questions. They were, they were dealing with a lot of people coming into the church, uh, bringing false messages and false teachings. And these believers that Peter was writing to, they were unsure of who to believe. They didn't know who to believe. And they were resting on the words of the apostle and the words of Jesus that said, I'm going to be returning soon. And so they were wondering when Jesus was going to come because times were very uncertain for them. They were very difficult. Persecution for Christians were at an all-time high. And these Christians were getting discouraged as they were awaiting Jesus' return. And so naturally they were asking questions like, Jesus, when are you going to come and rescue us? How long are you going to wait? Do you even care about our distress? And here's what Peter writes to this group of people that was, that was in distress, had a lot of questions, and they wanted to be rescued. Peter reminds the people of this. He says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, Peter helps us to get a glimpse into the disposition of the Lord when we ask questions. What is his disposition towards you, towards me, when we ask him questions? And, and we could see here that Peter simply describes that the Lord's disposition for you and I is very patient. He's patient. Why? Why is, it, why is he patient? Because he does not want you to die. And most specifically, he doesn't want you to spend eternity without him. 
He wants to make sure to give you every opportunity to come and know him as a personal Lord and Savior so that you don't have to spend eternity without him. What a great disposition that our Lord has towards us because we all come out of the womb asking a lot of questions. So today we're talking about it's okay to have questions. As I look at scripture, I think of some different ways that scripture addresses questions for you and I. And here's one thing that I notice is I notice this. In your notes, everyone has questions, every single one of us. You know, every single one of us has questions and we all Ask them in our own way. Just think about it. When babies, they come out of the womb and they don't use words to ask questions, but they use cries and their cries are saying things like, hey, is there any food around here? They're saying this food is too cold or it's too hot. I don't like it. It needs to be just right. A perfect temperature, room temperature. They, they say with their cries, I'm tired. I'm, I'm hungry. I need someone to change my diaper. They just lay it all out there, and their, their cries say all of this. The funny thing is that, that you and I, we ask the same type of questions. We're just a little more refined about how we do it. And, and then there's toddlers. They ask questions, too. Toddlers ask questions in the form of tantrums. And they might not use all the right words, but their tantrums are saying, I want it now. <laughs> and their tantrums are saying, Why? Why can't I have it now? Some of us still tantrum that way. We, again, we're just a little more refined. We, we, um, we do things like, you know, we're passive aggressive. Yeah. This is an adult tantrum. I know you've never done that before. Um, yeah, we, we do things like ghost our friends. Give them the silent treatment. I mean, we're just like, you're dead to me. And, um, you know, you're over here going, I thought we were friends. And they're like, no, you're dead to me. And I just, just to help you out, your friend is just having an adult tantrum. Give them a little bit of space. Let them cool down. Let them calm down. This is what they do. It's what we do. How many of y'all have ever had an adult tantrum before? Let's all not be lying like, you know, you ain't never done that before. Yeah, thank you. Look at all the honest saints. Let's do it one more time. There's freedom in the house. A tantrum. Yes, I release that right now. Freedom. Even the most famous people in the Bible, they had a lot of questions. People like Moses. Moses questioned God's very calling of the man who was going to lead people out of Egypt, as Pastor Chris just described. And it just so happened to be that that man was him. And, and Moses was like, God, are you sure? I'm not the right guy. And what about Thomas, one of Jesus' very own disciples? I mean, Thomas spent years witnessing miracles from Jesus spending time with him, sitting at his feet, hearing the teachings of Jesus. Yet Thomas questioned the very resurrection of Jesus, and he wanted proof. How about Jesus himself? It's, it's so interesting, but even Jesus had questions. He had questions for people, and he even had them for God. As we look at Mark 15, we see Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you have to say to that father? Why have you forsaken me? Some scholars say that he was just quoting Psalms 22 and 1, but I understand and we understand from Scripture that Jesus was fully God and fully human all at the same time. He felt every feeling that every human on this planet would ever feel. He experienced every temptation that every human would ever experience, yet he did not wane. He said, Perfect, uh, perfect with God's heart and God's will and God's plan for him. And he never waned to the left or the right. Jesus had to exercise faith just like you and I do. And in that moment, he remained faithful to God's call upon his life. 
It's so important for us to understand that our questions don't bother God at all. In fact, it's part of being human. It's to ask questions. And God loves to respond and answer our questions for those of us who are doubting, who are in a season of hurt, or we're wondering, or we're confused. Why? Why does, why does he want to wait and patiently answer? Because he loves you, and he does not want you to perish, and he wants you to come to repentance. Here's what I've learned. If we desire to grow, it will require us to ask questions. First Peter 2 and 2 says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you will grow up in your salvation. God is saying, hey, just like a baby craves to grow and nourishment, as believers, we should crave the gospel. Crave the pure gospel of Jesus that we would grow up and mature in our salvation. Don't be satisfied with not growing. Don't be satisfied with not eating and not maturing and not be growing. We must ask questions if we want to grow. Here's a question I have for you today and for myself. Are you still asking questions of God? you still curious about how he wants to move in your life and still curious about how he wants to move in this world. You know, asking questions is not just about us asking questions of God, but it's also about us engaging one another with the love of God and asking questions of one another. Are you still curious on how you can love your spouse better and how you can be a better friend and how you can be a better parent? Are you still inquisitive with, with how the ones that you love tick so you can serve them well? I think that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. We're still asking questions. We're talking about it's okay to have questions. Here's something else that I notice about scripture, and it's this, that everyone has different questions. Somebody say different. Hey, depending on your personality, you're going to ask different types of questions. You know, you can define personalities in a lot of different ways. I'm going to use a simple model today that describes four types of personalities. It's known as the choleric, melancholy, phlegmatic, and sanguine personality types. Now, if you have never been exposed to this, I know that sounded like another language for a moment. But let me explain this to you. If you were going on an excursion or you were going on a journey, you would want all four of these personality types with you. Why? Because every one of these types asks different questions. The cleric, whom is a leader type, he's a natural born leader. He's going to ask leader type questions. He's going to be wondering, all right, has anybody ever climbed that mountain before? Great. No? Let's go. But before we go, I want to bring some people with me because it's going to be amazing when we get there. And I probably can't get there alone. So let me find out, is there anybody here that I can lead up that mountain? Those are the type of questions a leader asks. Leaders are reformers. They, they change things. They do things that nobody's ever done before. They ask questions like, who's going to help? Who's going to follow? Pastor's a cleric. Pastor Jacob's a cleric. My wife, she's a cleric. These are naturally born leaders that ask leader type questions. Then there's the melancholy. A melancholy is an organizer. They ask different types of questions. And you want a melancholy on your excursion. You want them on your vacation. You want them on your journey. You know why? Because they're going to ask questions like this. How can we plan and organize this so we do all the things that we want to do? How can we plan and organize this so it's not chaotic? Um, what is our budget? Uh, how are we going to pack? How much can everybody carry up that mountain? 
They ask all of the organizing type of questions. They ask, is this practical? Is it doable? Is it reasonable? Does it fit in the budget? People like Trina Anderson and Amanda Gonzalez, they're melancholies. They ask these types of questions and you love them because they make everything better. They make it smoother. Then there's the sanguine. I would hate to say that the sanguine is one of the best of the all, of course, because I'm a sanguine. Pastor Chris is a sanguine. Any sanguines in the house? Life of the party. You just want to make sure, you want to make sure this. Okay, I want to make sure we're going the right way. So is that leader competent? Yes, he is. Great, check. I want to make sure someone else is taking care of the details because I'm not so worried about them, but I want to make sure they get done. Check. The next question is, is I want to make sure that we have the best and the greatest adventure along the way. I want to know, are we going to have fun? I want to know who is on the team. Do I like them? Do they like me? Are they going to annoy me? I want to make sure that everybody on the team, we are going to have a blast and we're going to have unity together as we go up this mountain. I want to make sure that along the way we capture and document the miracles and document the story so that when it's all over, we can come back home and share it with the world. That's what a sanguine does. And then there's the phlegmatic, the steady Eddie, everyone's best friend, the phlegmatic. They're incredible. They're one of the best team members you can have because they join the team and they're not drama like all the other personality types because we all get bent out of shape. If you're a melancholy, you get bent out of shape because it's not organized well. If you're a leader, you get bent out of shape because everyone's not following you right. And if you're saying when you get bent out of shape when everyone doesn't like you, the melancholy doesn't care. They're the greatest to have on the team. They, they go with the flow and they ask questions like, where do you need me? And a leader's like, thank God, somebody who's not drama, can you pick that pack up because they have quit. We're gonna leave them there. They're gonna die. Could you carry that up the rest of the mountain for us? The melancholy, you're like, thank God for the melancholy. And the melancholy asks questions like, um, how can I help? And there's so many people on our volunteer force that are a melancholy type, and we love you. Everybody needs good melancholies on the team. But here's what I've learned. I've learned this, that we should not expect others who are not us to ask the same questions that we would ask. Because God has made us all very different. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, uh, Paul describes this. He says this, that, that Jesus describes that, that God has placed every part in the body, every one of them. He placed them specifically where he wanted them to be. Why? Because he put every person with the exact personality, temperament, and type to be where they are in the body, to ask the right questions at the right time so that they can play their part in the family of God. God created you to ask your type of questions. I don't want to encourage you to be bold with your questions, to take your questions to God in prayer and declare them. God has set you exactly where you're at in your family, in your workplace, in the relationship, in the ministry, wherever he's been. He set you there specifically and perfectly to ask the exact type of questions that you ask. And other people might not like the questions that you ask, but it's okay Ask them anyways. You will make us better. Can somebody say a good amen? Amen. Here's what I've learned in your notes. Everyone has different questions because everyone has been created differently. It's okay to have questions. Here's something else I've learned and noticed in scripture about questions that everyone has changing questions. Every one of us. What do I mean by that? Over time, as you and I mature and grow, our questions change. Have you known that to be true? Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says this, there is a time for everything 
a season for every activity under the heavens. I think it's very fair to say that when the writer says there's a time for everything, it includes questions. That means there's a time to give a question and a time not to give it. But that also means that at different seasons and points in your life, you will ask different types of questions. Again, if you're going on a journey and you're a young person, in your early years, you ask certain types of questions just because you're young. When you're a kid and you're in the car, you ask questions like, are we there yet? Teens ask questions like, is it going to be boring? Can I bring my iPad? Can we make sure there's a charger in the car? Can we make sure everything's plugged up and ready to go? Can I have my headphones and ignore the rest of the family on the drive? Can I bring my friend? We enter our 20s when we're going on trips and journeys and we ask different type of questions. We ask questions like this, who's going to pay for my gas? I'm going, I just need to know who's going to pay. We ask questions like, who's going to feed me when I get there? When we're in our 40s, we ask different types of questions. We, we were like, uh, can we afford to pay for this trip and contribute to our retirement? And when we're in our retirement and later years, we might ask questions like, can I make the trip? Will my body let me? If you answer yes to those two questions, you, you might be driving and somebody in the retirement years might go, does anybody have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I, mean, I don't have to go to the bathroom, but if you guys need to stop and go to the bathroom, I will take advantage. Here's what I've learned about questions. The questions we asked yesterday and how we respond to them will determine our tomorrow. It's so important that you're asking the right questions today and that with an open and prayerful heart, we would understand that we must respond well to those questions with the help of the Holy Spirit because our future and our tomorrow depends on how we respond to the questions that we're asking God today. It's okay to have questions. Everybody has questions. So the next thing that I notice in scriptures is this, that everyone has unanswered questions unanswered questions, every one of us. We will all go through times in life where we have questions that we don't have answers to. Why is that? Why doesn't God answer all of our questions? Well, I want to submit a couple reasons. Perhaps it's because we're asking the wrong question. Perhaps he wants us to ask better questions, to think deeper. Perhaps he wants us to see from a different perspective and then ask a different type of question based off of that perspective. Perhaps the unanswered question is because God has already answered you. Maybe you're just not in the space to hear it or to remember it. Maybe you don't have the maturity to understand it. Nevertheless, he's already responded. Perhaps I want to submit that maybe you're not getting an answer because you're asking with the wrong motives. Parents, sometimes your kids ask questions with attitude and you don't answer the question. It is grace. <laughs> you're like, you do not want me to answer that right now, child. Trust me. Like, I will give you another chance to think about that and you may choose not to ask it or you may ask it a different way, but I'm gonna give you another chance. I love what James 4 and 3 says. James says this, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. I think it's important to, this kind of little rabbit trail, to understand this. 
is that I don't think that James intended this as a total blanket statement over all unanswered questions, and I don't either, because James was speaking to a specific type of church. This church was a group of Jewish Christians in a specific time in history for a specific reason. They had a lot of questions. They, the, this comment to them was to address uh, their chronic, impure, incorrect motives. This church was in bad shape. You don't want Jesus coming and hammering down on you with this type of statement towards your questions. But perhaps at times, your motives are off. And this does apply. And I think it is important for every single one of us to consider the question of ourselves, are my motives right? Are my motives pure? Why? Because we all, at times, have impure motives. Somebody say, even me. I knew that was going to be really soft and quiet. Somebody with just a little more humility say, even me, really loud. There we go. There's a couple who didn't answer. That was for you. But, but, but even me, even you, we all have impure motives at times. Even the people at the, the highest uh, points in Christian organization and Christian leadership, they have impure motives. If you don't believe me, just read about church history. You will see a lot of impure motives. I think that it's important for humanity to always consider, Lord, are my motives right? Are my motives pure? Because good, incredible, well-meaning Christians even get deceived at times. And it's important for us to consider that our motives are pure. Here's something that I've learned. Just because we don't have the answer doesn't mean there isn't one. Just because we don't have the answer doesn't mean there isn't one. When we slow down long enough to surrender our questions, many times we will experience a peace that is greater than our need to have an answer. Many times when we slow down long enough to surrender our questions, we experience a peace that is greater than our need to have an answer hear that? Anyone who is genuinely seeking the Lord, know this. Don't mistake God's silence for his absence. God's silence does not mean that he is not present. It is his gift to you to lean in and listen. You know, it's interesting when we look at scripture as a whole, Jesus never promised to answer all of our questions while we're here on earth. He didn't. Check out 1 Corinthians 13 and 12. This kind of explains and helps us to understand. You get to put your thinking cap on for a moment if this is a new scripture for you. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Kind of sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Check this out. When the writer is saying, for now we only see... Paul's explaining for now, while, while we're here on earth, in this present moment, we only see but a reflection as in a mirror. What is a mirror reflection like? It's a 2D reflection. What is 2D? Lines and no depth. All you get to see is lines. And when you're trying to figure out the perspective of all your fineness, you need more than a mirror. You're like, 
let me set up another mirror over here. Because I know what I look like from over here, but I need to be able to, this 2D is not helping me to see 3D from over here. I need another perspective to see how good and fine I look from over here. So we take another mirror and we turn it sideways and you're like, okay, my fade looks good. The truth is that we live in 3D, not 2D, right? And 3D and 2D is completely different. I mean, it's amazing. When you're staring at a building or a house and just a picture, you just you can't see you can't see anything but that picture lines. That's it. But because of 3D perspective, most people would never go buy a house just from the pictures. They go, I want a 3D perspective. I want to go there. I want to. Look and see what's around the house because I can't see it by looking at the 2D picture. I want to see the neighborhood. I want to see the people in the yard. I want to see what they're like. I want to, I want to see if the grass is mowed. I want, to, I want to see all around that house. And then when I get to the house, I want to come and touch it. I want, to, I want to just look at the lines. I want to climb inside the lines. I want to look and see how space is divided up. And I want to, I want to see if this house smells good enough for me because how many of y'all know some of them houses you be looking at, they smell right and it don't take very long and then your house smells right and it's like okay okay that was not in my nose you surely know that was in my nose I'm not saying your house stinks but we get in there's a whole new perspective in 3d and here's what God says if we can bounce back to that scripture he says this he says for now we only see in 2d as a reflection in a mirror but then 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 one day in eternity then in heaven then one day in heaven we're going to see him face to face And here's what's so cool about seeing him face to face. The writer says, just want to remind you guys, now I only know in part because I only see in 2D. Now here on this earth, I only see in 2D. But then in heaven, I'm going to know fully the same way that he knows. Now, I don't know what, I don't know if God's like 4D or 5D. I don't know like what his perspective is. It's probably 70, number of perfection. He's probably 70, but do you, you see how much difference there is from 2D to 3D? And God is God D. He's way different than you and I. And he can come in and out of time and space in ways that you and I can. And he can see life from all types of perspectives. And there are just some things that your mind cannot comprehend because you can't see from his perspective. That's why you have unanswered questions. But there will be one day when the same way that he knows you, in other words, he knows everything about you. He knows the way your body ticks. He knows, he knows when you were created and why you were created and how you were created. He did it with his hands. And he knows about the family. And he knows about all the situations. He knows all about them and all the junk going all around you. And there's going to be a day that you're going to arrive in heaven and you're going to know you the same way he knows you. Everything about you, you will have no questions. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a marriage conference here in Arlington. And the Adina Weimer was the keynote speaker. And here's what Adina said. She said, all disappointments in life come from unmet expectations. And here's my wonder. My wonder is this. How many of us are disappointed in our faith journey? We're disappointed in God. All because he has not met our expectation to answer all of our questions. Because he never agreed to that. He never told us that. So we can't expect him to do that for us. But many of us are disappointed in life just because we have an unrealistic expectation of God. It's okay to have questions. 
Lastly, as I look at scripture in your notes, and I notice about questions is this, that faith is the best response to our questions. Faith is the best response to our questions. Somebody might say, oh, I don't want faith. I want, I want certainty. But no, God says, I didn't call you to a life of certainty. I called you to a life of faith. See, faith is not really exactly what you think. And, and, and in fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That word faith right there in its original language means this, pistis. Kind of a funny word in our language. But here's what this word means. It means divine persuasion. That means this, that when God is looking for you to have faith to respond to your questions, he's divinely persuading you to help you deal with your questions. Here's what faith is not. Faith is not blind belief. Faith is not reserved only for the religious. Faith is not fairy tale kind of hope. Faith is not manufactured by humans. God is not leaving you out on your own to have faith. In fact, faith, God is divinely trying to persuade you to have hope for your future. He's trying to convince you of sin and death. He's trying to convince you that sin destroys our life. He's trying to convince you that salvation is the way out of destruction. He's trying to help you to convince you that there is a future hope in heaven. He's trying to convince you that without him in your life, there is a future life separated from him called hell. And he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to, not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to repent. How exactly do I get faith, you might ask? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us this. Here's what Paul says. He says, he says this, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is th- heard through the word about Christ. How do we get faith? Through hearing. Through hearing what? The word. The message about Christ. So how are you supposed to get faith? Well, here, here's the good news. The word about Christ is just the message of the gospel. It's just, it's all about what Jesus has done for you. It's all about understanding why he needed to do it for you and what he's done for you. And here, here's the deal. How do you get to know about the gospel? Well, surround yourself with Jesus followers. That's how you're going to hear the gospel. Their talk is different. They, they don't get discouraged by life the same way that others. But when they do, they say, but... I'm putting my faith in God. But life looks like this. I'm choosing to trust Jesus. And if this is how my life is going to roll out, it's okay with me. Because one day I will know exactly what he intended. And I'm willing to live out his purposes. That's what people of faith do. You want faith? Surround yourself with people of faith. Just take a look around your life and go, is my inner circle people of faith? And if the answer to that is no, you don't have to kick those people out of your life, just kick them out of your inner circle and put your inner circle filled with people of faith. How else do you get faith? Well, you get it by attending a church that preaches the gospel. That's why it's so important. Paul says, hey, don't forsake the the gathering of the saints. Come together and hear the gospel. Be a community of believers. Encourage one another. And when you're discouraged and get into the family, get into the body and let somebody lift you up. Let somebody encourage you. Let worship lift up your spirits. How else do we build our faith? Not only by surrounding ourselves with friends and coming to church, but also by this, by reading scripture. Hello. We also do it by seeking godly and trustworthy advisors. Hello. We hear the gospel in every one of these ways I just described. 
I wouldn't take any one of these and put it over the other. I also would not pull out any one of these because you need every single one of these to be a growing, maturing believer to help you with your questions. And God will pour in faith in you. It will be unbelievable. It will be unbelievable. You will have no questions. Our takeaway is this. All of our questions won't be answered, but they can be satisfied with faith. All of our questions won't be answered, but they can be satisfied with faith.